Hey everyone, welcome to episode 7 of the Lonely Mountain Mystics podcast, and this one is called At One Mint. Today we're going to be talking a little bit about something called atonement. Trust me when I say that we're really just skimming the surface. This is a really important topic though, because it is the heart of what people believe about the death of Jesus. We do try not to get too theologically nerdy though. Because we do simply skim the surface, I know I felt like there were a lot of things left unsaid. If you feel that same way too, please reach out to us and let us know. We'd love to have a conversation or even structure another episode around your thoughts and questions. Thanks as always to our patrons who support us. We love you and we really feel the love you show us. Thanks especially to some of our newer patrons. Our ranks are growing and we are incredibly grateful. Uh, Many of you will have a patron-only episode to look forward to here in the very near future. We had a lot of fun making it, and we hope you enjoy it. All right, I think it's time to get started. Thanks, everyone. All right. And we're back. Yay! (laughs) It has been a little while. How many months? A couple weeks. (laughs) No. It's It's been a while. It's been a while, but we're back. You're like, it's been a week. Yeah. (laughs) If you're one of our, if you're one of our patrons, we love you so much. Thanks for sticking with us. It's been, it's been a little bit. It's been a minute. (laughs) It's been a minute. Um, But we're here this week. We're going to talk about something that you may or may not think about. Something called atonement, and we'll get into what that is kind of in a minute. But let's just go around the room. Say our names real quick, because it has been a minute. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everyone. This is Devin. And this is Will. Hey, it's Andy. And I am Benjamin, and I'm excited to be here. I hope you guys are excited to be back. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to dig right in, as is typical. I have some questions, and I like to go around and ask these questions and get your responses as is typical of asking questions. So here we go. Question number one, we'll go around. I'm interested to know what is the story that you've been told kind of about what Christianity is? So just growing up, what was it all about? Why why are we doing this thing? What's the story you were told? Devin, why don't you go first? So, yeah, so I've touched on my experience with what story I grew up hearing in the church in the South before, so I'm not going to dig a ton into it. It's been peppered in a lot of the previous episodes, but basically the idea is that we're all here to worship God. On top of that, when you, when you get into like the nitty gritty of what that looks like, God is this this entity looking down on us and he has all this wrath that he needs to pour out on to his creation because we're evil we're dirty we're sinful we're awful and our flesh is only made to do bad things and because of that from the time that we are an infant we are rightfully made to be able to be destroyed at his beckon But the good news is he sent himself to the earth in the form of Jesus uh, so he could unleash all of the punishment that's supposed to be for us on Jesus. And Jesus could take all that punishment uh, because God loves us. But Jesus had to die because we're really awful. And so that's 
a really capsulized version of what I got. When you go to Sunday school, it wasn't so overtly those topics, but the themes of you are awful and deserve death and punishment and hell and damnation, that theme was interlaced into every aspect of church life. So that was the story that I grew up with, was just um, that we're awful, that we deserve hell. From the moment that we're born, we deserve to go to hell. Um, But luckily, Jesus came to take all of that punishment and wrath that God has because God loves us. Will, what are your thoughts? So what I heard growing up was that, like Devin had mentioned, that we're primarily bad, uh, that there is this thing called sin that just engulfs our entire existence. And like Devin mentioned, there is good news. Uh, There is a thing that you can do about it. It's you can pray that Jesus would forgive you for those things that you keep doing and the way that you continue to exist because he had to die in order for us to be able to pray those things and then perhaps, if we're lucky, feel better about our existence as sinful people with terrible being the implication there. I remember hearing that like as a kid all the way through high school where that got mixed in with just a lot of other feelings of shame and like adequacy as a as a human. And I heard that all the way through Bible college. That was something that I remember hearing that I should do when I was working for churches and was a pastor that you cannot talk about goodness without talking about sin and the inherent sin nature. And if you make it sound too much like just like normal human psychology, then you are somehow like pissing all over the scriptures by not using scriptural language to describe how that might actually make sense. Yeah, I would say that's maybe a a full throated. depiction of, of what I remember hearing about atonement growing up. And I think a lot of it ties back to like the episodes that we just recently put out with, with sin and evil. I, that's actually a pretty good backstory to how I thought about atonement. Like that's the necessary foundation for rethinking atonement. Cool. Andy, what about you? Um, so I won't go too much farther into it because that that does pretty well sum it up. We don't need to keep telling the same story. Um, but I do remember just trying to solve like the mental problem of why why it felt so weird that when we were asked to preach the gospel or tell someone the good news, why was there there was this level of awkwardness because it's almost like you have to you have to set somebody back a level first before the news can actually be good. So if you just talk to somebody off the street and they, you know, they're just an average human being, like the first thing that you would have to inform them of is that just by existing and doing things that normal humans do throughout their development, um, that they've somehow been separated from God. And that, but there's this like transaction that they can make by praying this prayer that will solve that problem for them, which is the quote unquote heavy air quotes, good news. So for me, like there was always a discomfort with why is it that this like so-called good news has to be like built up with knocking people down a level. So I, but other than that, yeah, the story was very, very similar to what you guys have described um, in terms of, Hey, you're, you're separate. This is just the way it is. It's because it's inherent to everyone. And 
the way out of it is to accept that, quote unquote, Jesus died for your sins. Like that was the language given to me. Jesus died because of what you've done and that if you pray the right prayer, can take care of things. That's how it was set up for me. That's an interesting point about the good news because that doesn't really ever seem like good news because it's, all right, so I'm normal and that's bad. And now I have to be not normal and not fit in with everything else. And that's better. And now I don't have a home because it's elsewhere like that. I don't know. I, I remember, I remember being told that as well as a part of like the good news of the gospel. That's, that doesn't sound like a place where I want to belong. Yeah. I had a friend even describe it as, well, how will they know that they need Jesus if I haven't shown them how awful they are first? It's kind of like the conclusion of like evangelism from a lot of the perspectives that I remember hearing. Yeah. So Ben, what about you, buddy? Yeah. So, I mean, I was, I was brought up with, with pretty much the same story. The first humans, Adam and Eve, sinned against God, and that resulted in all of humans having, you know, a sin nature, which means we have a debt to pay that's due to God. We could never pay it. So Jesus came to die to pay that debt because the, the debt that we had to pay, we, we would pay with our lives. And um, I was told that, and kind of the point that I, that I wanted to make by asking all of you this question is I think we were all told that this is what the gospel is, right? We were brought up in these pretty narrow views that say that this one specific view of why Jesus died is the whole crux of our faith. This is what everything hinges on, that God punished Jesus instead of punishing us. And I guess growing up, I never really had a problem with it. But recently, in the last few years, I've come to see how destructive that's been. And I I think it's interesting that it's, you know, some people grow up with it and they don't have an issue with it. Other people grow up with it and it's caused a whole lot of damage. We talk about that in a little bit. Just the idea of that being, quote unquote, the gospel it's just been very, very interesting to me to discover that that is not at all the case. So we, we've we thrown around this word atonement, and what we're really talking about when we say atonement is like, why did Jesus die? And we were told this one thing, that Jesus died because uh, if not, we were going to die. But, guys, I've done some digging, done a little research, and I'm not going to go through them all. <laughs> But I've counted no less than 15 different historical atonement theories, of which I was never told all but one. And this one that we're talking about is called penal substitutionary atonement, which I, if everyone's okay with it, I'm just going to shorten to PSA for the rest of the episode. But man, I have found that to be incredibly destructive. Not only that, but I've kind of discovered in many senses, it's in opposition to what I feel like good news would be, right? Um, ben, so, I got a yeah. quick question for you. Yeah. What in the actual hell does penal substitutionary substitutionary and atonement mean? <laughs> the hate. Well, that's a great question. <laughs> so uh, atonement is a made-up word that we can trace back to William Tyndale. Uh, when who, was it made up? 
When was it made up? Yeah, just a rough a rough ballpark as to how old this idea is. Slightly before we lit him on fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, William Tyndale is translating the Bible into English. It's a big deal. He came across Hebrew and Greek and was just like, I got no word for this stuff in English, so I'm going to make it up. So it's literally just at one mint, just smushed together. And so we call that atonement. And it's basically just clearing the slate, making it clean, starting over. So it's a pretty good just combination of words. It's um, pretty clever. Yeah, I think you did a pretty great job. I, I, I think when you separate it out into at one mint, I think it actually brings some interesting meaning into what's, what's happening. Penal substitutionary atonement is a big long word or phrase for a thing that I know a lot of people have not heard, even people in the church, even pastors, even leaders in the church have not heard. But again, they've been told and they preach that this is it. This is Christianity at its core. And without this, there is no Christianity. And so basically what it is, so there's there's two components. There's penal and there's substitutionary. Penal, not to be confused with penile, I don't know why you looked at me for that, but continue on. Because I knew you were going to make a joke about it. <laughs> nope. So I'm getting right out in front of that. Nope. Uh, penal has to do with like law and like you think about our like penal system. Um, say what? Punishment. Yeah, punishment basically. And substitutionary is substitution. Jesus died in our place. Like we were supposed to die, but Jesus died instead. The old switcheroo. The old switcheroo (laughs) that God pulled on himself. (laughs) But it's interesting because when you get right down to it, it's when you have this theory about why Jesus died, that's based on the punishment must fit the crime. Oh man, we're on really shaky ground just to start with because that seems to be in opposition to everything that God and Jesus says in the Bible that we're going to to formulate these ideas. So, yeah. So we have this idea that we're calling penal substitutionary atonement or just PSA, which says that we were supposed to die. We were the recipients of God's wrath against us. But Devin, like the language that you use, like Jesus, you know, steps in at the last minute and he takes the punishment that God had kind of prepared for us. Guys, talk about why that doesn't sit well with you. What's wrong with that picture? Because for 20 some odd years of my life, I didn't see anything wrong with that picture. Yeah, we'll go for it. I think part of what I now think is wrong about that, something that made me uncomfortable that I couldn't identify earlier like when I was younger is what I mean, is that in that system, God kind of sucks. Like he's angry all the time. He's like, you have to behave for him and maybe he'll love you. But it's, if he does, it's only because of your older brother, Jesus, that God is, uh, seemed at odds with what I remember being told made you, like a good practicing Christian, which was that you actually try to seek after God's heart. Well, I don't know if I want to do that. He seems like a turd sometimes. Like, 
every like if we're being honest, like that is serious aversion to um to spiritual practices when I was growing up, partially because the the image of God that I remember receiving didn't really seem like somebody or anything I really wanted to associate with. And it was just like an expectation that that's what you had to do. I think that's definitely a big issue. And I don't even really have like deep-seated associations of God and my father. I know a lot of people do, and that's super common. I just happen to not have those. And I still feel like that idea just sucked and was made everything a little bit harder than it should have been. Devin, what are your thoughts? It always made me feel uncomfortable. Um, And as I've shared before, um, the idea of a violent, abusive parental figure who has to pour his wrath down on his children, uh, who may or may not deserve it, but then you've got, you know, one of the older siblings who steps in to take that beating. That story, it just rang so familiar in so many areas. I have family members that could fit into that story of you've got this abusive parent who, you know, wants to pour out their wrath and hopefully one of the siblings jumps in to stop it. Um, And so it fits into a lot of households of friends that I grew up with, family members that I have, you know, that people that I loved on and it just felt so bad. And it really started to, you know, to get contorted for me into really awful ways because, you know, I grew up having a lot of friends who grew up in dysfunctional households. So the idea of if, if God's a father, I don't really want anything to do with him because fathers aren't really known for being good. And again, I've touched on this a little bit previously. Um, but for me, part of the challenge with it is that nothing was ever good enough, right? We're always sinful. And the point is, is to get away from our sin nature. And there's this common language of like to die to yourself, to get rid of the flesh, to, you know, to kill off the self and stuff like that. And so this whole thing is that like, it's all about removing and killing and destroying so much of yourself. For me, struggling with mental health for most of my life, with depression, with, you know, self-harm, anorexia, all that good stuff, um, suicidal thoughts, this idea of God being this really judgmental person, just watching everything that I did, it just made it all so much worse. It made it impossible because even if I did everything right one day, I still did something in that day to murder Jesus. So even if I did everything as good as I can, at the end of the day, I still succeeded at best at murdering my Messiah. The other challenge with it is, is that like whenever you're working that hard all the time, you're not seeking after God's heart because you love God. You're seeking after God's heart because if you don't, it's eternal damnation. And that's a really painful thing because we talk about this one gospel, this one way, this one truth, this one idea, which puts so much emphasis on the exactness, on doing it the right way, saying the right prayer. I remember sometimes where I would go to bed scared that maybe I didn't say the prayer right. Maybe I didn't, I wasn't believing right. So I'd say it again. Or, you know, every time there was an altar call, I would go up because I was afraid that something I did before made it not count. And, um, and that was really difficult. It just made it awful because here we we're being told about a loving God, a loving Messiah, a loving Christ, yet 
yet we're not really seeing any of that fruit. And the only reason why I'm doing good things is because I'm kind of scared not to. Uh, so it was really destructive carrying around that burden constantly. And a lot of the language really emphasized this idea of like, we murdered Jesus. It's almost like you're telling people that you have to feel this way so that you can tell them the good news is that you don't have to feel this way. But then you still feel that way. <laughs> yeah. It's like gaslighting a, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Actually, that is, that is patently, <laughs> patently gaslighting. <laughs> Andy, thoughts? I definitely, Devin, I do the same thing as far as just the, uh, like the anxiety of praying the prayer hundreds of times in a day because you feel like it, you know, it might not have gone just right. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of fear. And uh, I remember for my, I'd say seven to nine year old brain, there were a few especially traumatic things about this idea that I'm going to therapy for. The first one is exactly what you were just talking about, Devin, which is that basically you have to be perfect to be loved. If you can back away from it as an adult, I can back away from it and think, we don't see that as a sign of health in anyone. There's no human being who if they acted that way, we would look at them and say, well that, you know, for you to have the standard of perfection for your children and to withhold love from them, if they're not perfect, we would call that child abuse. But in a religious context, it's taught to us as children. And so before you, and I, I understand that it's followed up with like quote unquote good news, but like some severe damage is already done that like you have to be perfect in order to be loved and i'm like undoing that hardcore now that it's it's okay for me to make mistakes so then you get beyond that and jesus was very real to me as a kid so i like loved jesus like i loved my my friends my family and so the idea Devin, that um something i did just just by existing just by doing i mean what as an eight-year-old had i done Right, I'm trying to do the math of what did I do that killed him? And that's crushing. Again, and take it out of a religious context. What would we tell a kid if they felt responsible for the death of a parent or a friend? Like, we would never tell them, yeah, it is your fault. Like, what you did did, did mean they had to die. Like, that's psychologically abusive. And like this stuff, especially if you've already gotten like a love attachment to this person of Jesus, it's not just a, not just a figure, like that's, that really does a number on you. Those things were significant in my experience. I mean, I, and I'm like unpacking this stuff really recently. I, I like just burst into tears. It was probably like a year ago, just sobbing, realizing like, I thought I killed my best friend. I thought I killed my best friend. I just, I kept saying it over and over. It does a lot of damage. It does a lot of damage.
And I think, you know, in a broad sense, kind of zooming out from the personal for me, I think it perpetuates, you know, what I've heard called the myth of redemptive violence, which is the idea that we can make peace through violence. And I don't think that's true. And I think that that idea is perpetuating so, so much harm in the world. And you can look at it with the way that the way that mass incarceration is happening in America. I don't know what the roots of all that are, but like we have this problem that like we think, okay, if somebody does something wrong, bam, you just make the consequences worse. You just make the consequences worse and worse and worse. And it and it doesn't help people. It doesn't end the problem. It doesn't restore them to any kind of health. It doesn't restore their communities to any kind of health. It makes everything systemically worse. And we have the data. We know this is true. And to me, I'm not blaming that all entirely on this theological idea, but with as like Christianity and America like have been synonymous for so long that you got to think it, there's something to that mindset rolling around that peace can be made through violence. And, I don't, and, I don't it's, think and it it's justifiable. Like, I'm so, sorry to jump in. Like, I'm really glad you brought that up because as I've been unpacking this, it's totally justifiable. Like, yeah, I mean, I hit my wife, but like, you know, she needs to behave better. Like, it's okay for me to like, push this person down because it's better for the rest of us. It's okay to like to behave in certain ways because of the fact that it's good for the majority and truth be told, they deserve it anyways. It's okay to do this because this person is awful and I'm trying to help them by bringing in this violence. And because we get so caught up in our rightness, I'm right because I'm a Christian and I'm doing the right thing. Therefore, I can, in my rightness, act like godliness and and do damage for the betterment of everybody else. And it's just like, it's crazy that that mentality gets like tied in together, which by the way, I don't actually hit my wife. That was just an example, just a disclaimer. <laughs> I probably should have like pit, Put that in a different way, but he, anyway, sorry. He yeah. did have his sarcastic face on, but that doesn't translate so well. Yeah, I've got a face for radio, for sure. Yeah. No, Andy, I'm so glad you brought that up, too. It brings up something that is actually, it's on our website, and maybe now's a great time to unpack that, is this idea of retributive justice versus restorative justice. And this version of why Jesus died like you said, is based entirely in this paradigm of retributive justice, that what justice is, is the punishment fits the crime, which is a super like Greek way to think of that. And I think we've missed the boat by and large when we take that and we apply that to divine justice. I think the subversive nature of the story that we've been given that we miss is like in the Bible is that no, divine justice is different than that. Like, that's that's human justice. That's what it looks like. That's the best we can do. Divine justice is something different. It calls us to something better, which is restorative justice. And it doesn't return harm for harm. If I was to quote a scripture, it wouldn't return evil for evil. It would overcome evil with good. Yeah. I was going to say that Andy, I'm not sure to what extent that idea directly influences like a lot of system systemic issues simply because I'm not really sure like how deep that is, but I've definitely seen 
PSA like used as a cop-out for people to not think better or more redemptively about things. I think of where I come from, a bunch of white people that are primarily conservative using their theology to basically like not rethink the way that they see the rest of the world. I think that no matter what opinion that happens to be, I think to be that way is wrong. And I think any roadblocks you can remove to get people to think more holistically about social issues like that is a step forward. Can you unpack a little bit more like why they have a reason to not like connect that to, to PSA for me a little bit? Sure. Okay. So the way that, the way that I've seen it work, and I, I could be making broad assumptions of people that I've known here, but the foundation of PSA pretty much works itself out in the way that the way that Devin mentioned, that God is angry, that Jesus came in at the last second and, and saved us from something that is terrible. And in that entire process, you have a very, very, very tiny amount of work to do, which is, you know, perhaps praying a prayer often. <laughs> um, but there's really, while there's a lot of blood on your hands, there's not a lot of work to do. Do you, do you get where I'm going with that, I, though? hundred percent. I think it's yeah. almost like the I bought my ticket and exactly. they need to buy their ticket. Right. And because they didn't buy their ticket, it's OK that they're going to hell. Yeah, it's escapist. It's more yeah. about like I need to instead of trying to create social justice in the sense of making the world a better place for all of us, they just care that somebody else has prayed the right prayer. And that's it. That's the socially just thing. I don't care if you have enough money to feed your children. I don't care if you're living in a neighborhood where statistically you're either going to die by the age of 25 or be incarcerated. I don't care that like you are escaping from a country where violence is happening, trying to come here to be in a safer place. I don't care about these things. I just care that you prayed the right pray prayer. And if you didn't, well, you deserve all the punishment you're getting anyways. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's a scapegoat of like, I don't have to go out and make the world a better place mm -hmm. because all I had to do was pray this prayer and all they have to do is just pray this prayer and I don't get why they don't want to pray it. And I've even heard people who will say, well, they're going to burn one day. So, And it's like, that's really your yeah. attitude about this? Is that yeah. like... It's cool. They're making money or they're doing this thing that you want or there's something that's happening in their life, but they didn't pray that prayer. And you're giving up this quickly with the, well, they'll burn one day and they'll notice. And it's like that ticket out mentality of like, I checked the box. I did what I needed to do. Now I don't need to go out and make the world a better place in any way. Yeah, because the your soul is yeah, inherently more it. valuable than the rest of yourself. Yep. Well, yeah, and just to bring it back around, Devin, you said they get their just reward. Again, that's that, I think, the very, the very Western yeah, view yeah. of justice yeah. um, that this whole thing is based on that I think is flawed. Ironically enough, so did Jesus. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I think it's flawed because of what Jesus is reported to have said. Yep. <laughs> Number three, so yeah, uh, we just got uh, one more question to kind of wrap it up. So what do you guys now do with kind of the death of Jesus? Maybe you don't do anything with it. Maybe it's just not something you really think about or, or interact with anymore. But if you do, how are you processing that differently and, and thinking differently about that story and, and what it means? So at the same time, it doesn't really tend to inform my religious views 
as much as it used to. And I think that that is partially a reaction to how much it did previously. And I think that I think that that is like a like a pendulum swinging away from from my old position. Religion was all about was all about Jesus dying, and now it's that's not necessarily. I don't I don't think Christianity is about Jesus dying like really at all, and that's probably. Probably the, something that you say really innocently that like sets somebody off, and they're like, whoa, 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 what? "That's the entire point. We don't have a religion if he doesn't die." Like, eh. well, there's still a lot of good stuff there, even if he hadn't died. But the way that I think about his death is primarily, I primarily look at look at him as not quite like a religious zealot, but definitely, some, but definitely a figure who was shaking up the the culture that he was living in. I think that there's a lot of evidence that you can point to that Jesus knew that what he was doing in his ministry was going to bring him death and that he knew that that was what was going to happen. It doesn't seem to be the case that he was doing that to like take our place for God's wrath necessarily, but nevertheless he wound up being a social and religious rebel that wound up incensing religious elites and then employed the state to execute him. From that perspective, that has changed a lot of how I think about the world. Like maybe a natural form of religion is to protest the way that the world is. And if in the process that is upsetting deep-rooted religious, cultural, and political beliefs, then you may be on a path of (laughs) making the world a better place. So what I like to do with the death of Jesus um, lately is just disrupt Bible studies and just make things hard for the Christians in the room. That's not really my intention. That's just what happens. Uh, I think I've shared before that I do attend a Tuesday night Bible study on occasion. Which is so funny that you always like, <laughs> specify it's like a Tuesday night Bible study because you know how know those why. are. <laughs> yeah. It just, I don't know why, but it feels weird if I don't specify. I don't know. Like, do you go all the time? I mean, like Tuesdays. For the avid fans trying to figure out Devin's schedule. Yeah, right. And where he'll be. <laughs> there's a hint. But yeah, so I was there and they were talking about like, Jesus had to die. Jesus had to die. And I was just like, I'm trying to bite my tongue. I'm like clenching my jaw. I'm like just sitting there. And finally, someone was like, Jesus had to die. And I was like, did he though? Well, well, well it was predicted. Yeah, but was that the plan? Because that doesn't sound like a loving father. You know, I don't think any parent sends their child to die. And so that, that, that one was a hard one. And, and so I asked this person, I go, and they're like, well, well, what about all the prophecies? And I was like, well, well, tomorrow the plan is to get up with my kids at seven uh, to just have a relaxing morning together, eat lunch together. That's the plan. My prediction is uh, my son's going to push my daughter. My daughter's going to yell at my son. They'll misbehave a lot. And at least one of them is going to go to timeout. <laughs> like... So the plan and the prediction aren't the same thing. Okay, well, 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 what do you do with it? I was like, well, to me, Jesus's death isn't super important. Um, Because again, I don't think that God sent Jesus to die. I think God sent Jesus to live on earth and show us what it means to be a human. And I think that's the point of Christ. And I think... 
I think that's the point of Christ, because if Jesus's point was to die, there'd be absolutely no point with Easter Sunday. The resurrection is meaningless. If the whole point is to die, he accomplished that goal. And really, it's not that hard of a goal to do. Several people do it on accident all the time. I don't think that the point is that Jesus came to die. And I think that, to me, is what makes the resurrection so powerful. I continued that conversation with a friend of mine, and I go, what is more powerful to you? To know that God thinks you're worth dying for, or to know that God loves you so much that even whenever people illegally and unlawfully killed him, he still chose to come back to show you he loves you anyways. Which one of those stories is more powerful? And for me, the idea of the resurrection has taken on like just a phenomenal light. You know, it's just this beautiful, amazing story of that God loved me so much that he was willing to come down here and show it. And then whenever we as humans, which we do a lot with really amazing things, we destroyed it. When we have anyone who's doing something really amazing as a people, we destroy them. But even when that was happening, Jesus was saying, God, forgive them. And then after he died, he loved us so much that he came back to continue to show us how much he loves us. And that is what's amazing. I don't believe that Jesus needed to die uh, for our sins to be forgiven or any of that stuff for us to get into heaven, whatever view you have on that. I don't think that Jesus had to die for it at all. I think that Jesus came to live. And when humanity did what humanity does best and it destroyed something beautiful, something amazing, something that was creating better equality for the people at the time, that, that Christ found a way to come back and continue to love us. And, and that, to me, is what's really amazing about the Christ story. Cool, man. Andy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um... First, Ben, I appreciate you saying, even just alluding to the idea earlier that there were 15 different atonement theories, because I, I think it even illustrates an important point, which is that we've basically, we've just assigned meaning to an event, right? Like that's, that's what these things are, right? Is like we've, we've taken an event that happened and we've assigned a meaning to it. So like, I love this question that you're asking at the end, because it's basically like, well, if the meaning that you were given for this event doesn't work for you, is is damaging in your view, then then what are you doing with it now? Will, I love what you said about um, that you think much more about the life of Jesus now, the, the things that he said, the things that he did, because I do think, I do think that too often in evangelical Christianity, those things are kind of optional. Like the things that Jesus actually taught and lived for are like extracurricular, mm -hmm. you know, but the real point is the, this transaction that happens. And the really interesting thing is that Jesus, Jesus comes like challenging the transactional nature of the religious assumptions of his day, right? Like, so he comes basically saying, you know, there's all these ideas of like, you got to fulfill the law. 
Like it's a transaction. You do these things and you get this reward. And Jesus like upsets that system. And I think the really sad thing is that Christianity, at least specifically evangelical Christianity, has then taken the story of Jesus and just set up a new transactional system that I personally think he'd be mortified by. <laughs> yeah. You die all over again. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go again, right? Start the loop. But like, so to me, it's, it's just to understand that Jesus, Jesus actually risked his life. He risked dying in order to challenge a transactional view of the love of God, the love of the divine. Um, so to prop up that system and to keep that going to me is like an offense to, to what he stood for, to what he tried to do. So I think when I think of Jesus dying, I think of him dying as, as a person who refused to leave anyone on the outside. I think of Jesus dying to include more people, to, to make it wider than they thought it could be. Um, to make to make the love of God not an exclusive thing that you have to be in and you have to follow these rules and then you can get loved. I think those were the exact boundaries that Jesus risked his death to break. Um, and he did, he was killed for. Like, and I think, you know, going back to earlier, as, as someone who felt very personally connected to Jesus as a young person, and even still, I think I was able to process his death in a different way when I didn't think that it was to pay for my sin. I think that I was able to like really grieve like that he was killed, that Jesus was killed as he was executed as an enemy of the state. I think that offers, man, like for anyone, for anyone who has ever been on the other underside of like the boot of injustice. I think that Jesus's story is so compelling because he's forever, you know, stands in solidarity with anyone who's been unjustly oppressed. And I just think there's so many ways that this, that this story of this person who taught a way of love, who refused to back down to the religious establishment of his day and to the empire of his day, because, I mean, his teachings posed a threat. He posed a threat to the religious empire in the way I just pointed out. And he posed a, a threat to the empire because the empire operated on a power over dynamic, right? Like, we have more power than you, so we tax the shit out of you. and. Basically, that's how our empire operates. That's how we keep getting greater as we keep taking more and more from you. Jesus comes teaching this way of being connected to one another, that basically we can't say that we love God and not love our neighbor. We can't think that we're separate from each other. He, he teaches this way of like interconnected living, which is an incredible threat to the established mode of the empire. So to me, I, when I think of the death of Jesus, I think of it as an outcome of teaching a true way of love that didn't work with the religious and empire establishments of his day. And he was killed for it. And I'm able to, like, as someone who loves and respects what he stood for, I'm able to just grieve that as, as a thing that happened and as someone that I loved. Hmm. Hmm.
Ben, take us home, man. What you got? Oh, first off, Andy, that was so good. Um, yeah, thanks for saying all that. I love hearing you unpack. Yeah, man, that stuff. I don't know. I just love it. Um, for me, I think there's two things I want to say about the death of Jesus. One is that I've stopped thinking about it as a solution to a problem. Like God had this plan, it was for Jesus to die, and that would fix things. I've started thinking about it now in terms of a reaction to humanity and what humanity does or did. And so instead of an answer to a problem, it's it's actually a it's a question of how does the divine respond when confronted with as much evil as humanity has to to throw at it. And you see that this response is self-giving love. And so in that sense, I think that the cross and Jesus' death is incredibly revealing of the nature of who God is. So that's kind of the first thing I want to say. The next thing, I just want to read from a blog post from Greg Boyd. And this is something that I've shared with all you guys here before. So Greg Boyd uh, says on a blog post, which I'll put in the show notes uh, on the atonement, he says, when God appears as a victim of violence on the cross, he's not merely revealing that he is nonviolent. He's revealing that he has himself always been a victim of violence. For whenever God stooped to allow biblical authors to project their own violence onto him, imagining him to be a perpetrator of violence, God was being made a victim of violence. He has always had to bear this sin. Man, I I read that, and I shared that with you guys, and that was just struck me as so powerful that not only does Jesus' death reveal this nonviolent nature to God, but it reveals that God has always been nonviolent. And so by extension, has always been a victim of our violence and continues to bear that lovingly and continues to show us, just provide an example of how to bear violence against us with love and to not answer retributively. Is that like, is that, so is that saying basically that God's nature is not inherently violent, however, due to the way that the Bible was penned and written, that he was depicted that way? Right. And so, yeah. So Greg Boyd's saying in this post that, and it's it's not an idea I imagine a lot of Christians would be very easy to get behind, but I love it, is, yeah, this idea that the biblical authors are projecting their own violence onto God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we believe this is what God would want us to do, which sounds an awful lot like us, us now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's almost like we have something that could be learned. but what do i know thanks everyone for sticking with us for another episode we hope this one got you thinking and if you do have any questions or you just want to have a conversation remember you can always go to the website lonelymountainmystics.com you can email us at hosts at lonelymountainmystics.com you can sign up for the patreon or you can even reach out on twitter we love hearing from you so keep the communication coming 
one final note on the show notes that we post to the website. Uh, We're running a little bit behind on posting those, so we're asking for a little bit of grace there, and we hope to have them up really soon. Okay, thanks everyone. See you next time. They have not yet worn out, but I think they've got maybe two winters left. I yeah. need a pair of those. I bought these for twenty dollars. So good. Win. Uh huh. I just yeah. I'm digging the aesthetic, man. Uh, me too. But they also look like they provide some support. They do. Yeah, I can stand in them. <laughs> How are your ankles? Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm past the point where I need ankle support. Mm, that's not entirely true, but I used to have really weak ankles, and now they're better. Yeah. Nice. yeah. I need to get mine back. So we're good? Your ankle's back? Yeah. To not answer retributively. 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 Yeah. Retributively. I got if it. We keep that saying it, it gets weirder. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pick one of those, and it'll end up in the recording. <laughs>